0: Well, last Sunday morning, we looked at the opening verses of this chapter, and we saw there how the the Apostle Paul says that we don't trust anything in ourselves. When Paul talks about confidence in the flesh, uh, we must conclude, I think, that in the context in which he's referring to here, the whole issue that he has in mind is the issue of your salvation. It's the issue of your right standing before God as one who is lost in your sins. As I said last week, I think it can be applied to other areas as well, and legitimately so. But here in this context, it's specifically talking about salvation. Paul is going to say, isn't he, that I'm no longer considering myself to be righteous before God on account of my own works but it is that righteousness which I now have in Christ. And he's talking specifically about the right standing that he is now in because he is in Christ Jesus. That is his, that's what's at the forefront of his mind as he writes these verses. And the issue here is if you find yourself wanting to include anything that you have done as a reason why God should save you, and why you should go to heaven then you have missed the whole point of the gospel i quoted from the hymn last week my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name and that's the issue And in verses 4 to 11, the Apostle Paul helps us to answer very, very clearly an important question. Can anyone be good enough for God and heaven? Can anyone be good enough for God and heaven? Can any good thing I do as a sinner count for anything before a holy and righteous God? Can any good thing I do as a sinner count for anything before a holy and righteous God? That's a significant question to consider. I've spoken to many people over the years who have said, I have confidence that I've done enough. I have confidence in my actions and in my accomplishments. In other words, they're saying, I have confidence in the flesh. If that's how you're thinking this morning, how sure or certain are you of that position that you're in? Now, Paul remembers back to those days when that was exactly how he reckoned things to be. And he reckoned that he was in the strongest position possible. And Paul... Had been through a time for many, many years in his life when, of course, back then before his conversion, his name was not Paul, it was Saul, and he's referred to as Saul of Tarsus. He considered those things that he'd had in his background that all he thought went in his favor he was immediately plunged into the most fastidious adherence to the law in being circumcised on the eighth day. So there he was, just a newborn infant. And even as a newborn infant, not responsible for any of his actions, he was already set on the right path, so he thought. Circumcised on the eighth day, as any good Jewish boy would be. The perfect start in life and this immediately set him off in what he believed was the right direction and established him on what he thought had been the right path he was not a gentile an important thing for him to emphasize given that he wasn't actually born in israel he was born in he was from tarsus that's in modern day turkey but don't don't let that put you off and, and think i'm not a jew His nationality had never been in question. If it had been happening today, he'd have been holding up his Jewish passport. (laughs) I'm one of you. I'm one of God's people. He was a member of God's covenant, Israel. Oh, yes. And there's more, says Paul, and there's more. He even knew which tribe he belonged to. That wasn't always a common thing. Uh, When you think of the Old Testament history, how the ten tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel had been completely decimated and had intermarried with many of the pagan nations around. Their identity was lost. But he knew which tribe he belonged to. I'm, I'm from Benjamin. That counted for much. In that Old Testament period when the nation of Israel was divided, it was Judah and Benjamin in the south who had not rejected the descendants of Solomon as king. It was Judah and Benjamin in the south who remained in Jerusalem, with Jerusalem as their capital city. It was only the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, who had remained loyal. And that portion of the original land of Canaan when it was distributed amongst the 12 tribes, the portion of land that was ascribed to Benjamin, that's where Je- uh, Jerusalem was located. If we consider those different parcels of land that each of the tribes were given as a county in Israel, because that's what we would call them today, then Jerusalem was located in the county of Benjamin. And Benjamin, you may remember back to the story in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph being taken into slavery. Joseph had been Jacob, his father's favourite son. But once Jacob thought Joseph was dead, it was Benjamin who was next in line in the affections of Jacob. And he was the one who Jacob held dearest to his heart and The tribe which bore Benjamin's name was likewise held in the greatest respect in Israel. And this was Paul's tribe, so there, Paul could say. His upbringing was impeccable. Hebrew parents, Hebrew religion, Hebrew worship, Hebrew schooling, Hebrew tradition, Hebrew culture, Hebrew mentality. He was as Hebrew as it was possible to be impeccable and not only that when he was older he was amongst the spiritual elite in israel or at least that's how they like to think of themselves the pharisees these fastidious law keepers so fastidious they made up a whole load of their own laws and kept all those as well no one had greater respect for the law of god than paul back in the days when he was saul And he was amongst a group of men who'd made it their life's work to keep God's law. And Paul was right at the forefront of that movement. And he was active as one of these men. He didn't stand idly by when this sect called The Way started to claim that Jesus of Nazareth really had risen from the dead and really was God's Messiah. Saul of Tarsus wasn't the man who just stood idly by and let this happen. No, not him. He wasn't going to let them get away with all of this nonsense and perpetuate all these blasphemous claims that Jesus had been making. This carpenter from up north of all places. No, he'd given himself to being rid of these Christians, cleansing the nation from this horrible sect of people and keeping religion pure in the land. That's how Saul of Tarsus thought of himself. If God gave out gold stars for law-keeping, Paul had more stars than anyone else. He was right at the top of God's star chart. He believed he had impeccable credentials, but as such, his heart was filled with pride. His heart glowed as Saul of Tarsus with all that he had managed to do and achieve. If anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, says Paul, if anyone else thinks that you've got anything in your life that in any way merits you a standing and a place before God and a seat in heaven, let me tell you, I'm ahead of you in the queue. Be in absolutely no doubt about that. I'm ahead of you. If that's what it's all about. He loved his life. And how God must love me. He thought. We meet many people today. And they are convinced. That God cannot possibly conclude. That there is so much wickedness in them. And too little goodness in them that they cannot get into heaven. Most people think that way. God cannot possibly think that I am so wicked that I cannot get into heaven. God cannot possibly think that there is so little goodness in me that I cannot get into heaven. Or that these things would separate me from him. God cannot possibly think that way about me. But something changed in this man. Something turned him around 180 degrees. Because all of his thinking had been wrong. All of his assumptions had been wrong. All of the conclusions that he had made about himself and God had been wrong. And a great turning around happened in the life of this man. Which showed him the truth of the matter. And it's that turning around in seeing these things that needs to occur in the life of every sinner in order that they might be saved. If you're a Christian this morning, this same turning around has taken place in you. Now, you might not have thought quite as strongly as Saul did that you were in such good standing, perhaps. But nevertheless, this turning around has had to take place. That he would see and understand what needed to be seen and what needed to be understood. And here's the great turning around that took place, the real position of sinners in their sins. That's what what Saul of Tarsus came to see. This is what had to happen in him for him to become Paul the Apostle. The real position of sinners in their sins. Paul made a discovery one day. He had imagined that all of his spiritual accomplishments were piling into a basket hanging from a pulley and it was all accumulating in weight inside this basket every single thing all of those that list he's just gone through all it's all going in all goes in all goes in the basket's getting fuller and fuller and heavier and heavier but it's on a pulley and some distance away the pulley is attached to a door The door is the entrance into heaven and the entrance into God's presence. But there's a great weight holding the door shut. The weight that's holding it shut is the weight of his sins. But in Paul's eye and in Paul's mind, this basket containing all of his accomplishments... All the things he's putting confidence in, it's all linked by a pulley to that door. And if he can just get enough into this basket, this will overcome that and that will open. That's how Paul thinks. And Paul has got to the stage where he had confidence that he now had enough in this basket that it would overcome the weight that was holding the door closed and the entrance to heaven would be open and God would welcome him in. That's how Paul has been thinking. He thought he was doing just fine. He thought he was making sufficient progress. But one day he's had a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and the real situation has become clear to him for the very first time. And God's power and God's grace and God's truth swept over this man and the true reality of his situation was laid bare because God, as it were, caused Paul to step back from the situation that he was in and look and see the reality for the very first time. And to his horror, Paul started to see and understand that that basket hadn't budged an inch and that door was still firmly closed and his whole life's work had been of no effect whatsoever. And Paul could see that actually he really didn't have much more to go into that basket. And nothing was going to budge it. So what is he to do? And God gave him the answer. Because God stepped in. And God said, Saul, take all your stuff out of that basket. Everything. Empty it. And he did. And God, the father, sent his son. And the son climbed in the basket. And the basket went down. And the door lifted up. That's what Paul discovered one day. And to Paul's amazement and utter joy, access to God was made open. Because Christ had climbed into his basket. Now said God to Paul. This is what he said, listen. You can either leave all your supposed goodness to one side And keep Christ in the basket. Or Christ can come out and you can carry on as you were before putting all your stuff in. Which is it to be? Which will you choose? He chose Christ. And he made that choice every single day. I'm going to say that again. He made that choice every single day. Christ in the basket, not me. What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. I didn't just do it 20 years ago. I do it today. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness anymore, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That's what happened to Paul that day. If you're a Christian, that's what happened to you one day. You took all your stuff out of the basket and in Climbed Christ. That which Paul thought he could accumulate for himself, sufficient goodness, sufficient righteousness, things that would make him acceptable to God, his own righteousness, he's abandoned it, he's discarded it, because he can now see actually it's worthless and it's useless he can see that these things are indeed like rubbish and now he's treated them like the rubbish that they are. And many of you know that the word rubbish is a very polite translation of the original Greek word which literally means animal dung. That's literally what it means. Things that are abhorrent to him now. And instead he has the excellence of Christ's own righteousness which God has given to him as a free gift by his grace and which Paul has accepted by faith. You see, the message of the gospel is that Christ stands ready to climb into your basket too. His sinless life, his death at Calvary, his resurrection in the place of sinners, that is what, that's what qualifies Christ to be in the place of sinners. His death and res- resurrection are weighty enough to open the door and let you in. Nothing else is, only that. And every time a sinner does what Paul did and empties their basket on the understanding that there's nothing you can do to shift it. And every time you put your trust in Christ, that's what makes a Christian a Christian. Allowing Christ to step in and do what you cannot do because of his death and his resurrection and for everyone who will say yes there's nothing I can do let me empty this basket and call upon Christ Christ will come and do for you what he did for Paul and what he's done for countless Christians since I need to empty everything of myself and simply cling and trust to Christ he's the answer Nothing else. And then finally, we see the new position of sinners in Christ. The new position of sinners in Christ. I want you to notice a few more important things that Paul mentions here. He talks about the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. You see, trusting Christ is much more than knowing about Christ. It's about knowing Christ. What's your relationship like with Christ? Christ. I know about the Queen of England, but that's just cold, hard facts. I don't know her. But Paul says, I know Christ. I've met him. I'm in him. He's mine and I'm his. You know my children, most of you. You don't know them like I do. You think you know them. You don't know them like I do. You don't know them like Debbie does. Paul knows Christ like that. Do you? Do you know him? Paul's knowledge of Christ is this deep Intense, intimate, relational type of knowledge. The excellence of knowing Christ. Knowing him as God's anointed king in my life. Knowing him as the man who is God made flesh. Who's come into the world to be my saviour. Knowing him. The excellence of knowing him as Lord in my life. Subjecting my whole self to him yielding my will to him, saying, Lord, I am yours, my whole life is yours, my future is yours, my studies are yours, my employment is yours, my family is yours, everything is yours. This is what it is to trust in Christ. And to trust in Christ, Paul says, is to be found in him. Now this is a favourite expression of Paul's, isn't it? To be in Christ Jesus. This is the new position that the Christian has in relation to Jesus. To be in him. To be joined to him. To be united to him. So that everything that yours is Christ's and everything that is Christ's is yours. Like a marriage. Where everything, everything now is shared. Where the two have become one the Bible teaches that Christian marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And at a more personal level, it's also in many ways typical of the relationship between Christ and the individual believer. I'm in him. He's in me. That which is Christ's, Paul considers to be his. Christ's death at Calvary, Paul's no, Paul knows that was my death to sin as well. The resurrection life that Christ now has. Paul knows that is, that's my life as well now. The righteousness that Paul has sought through the keeping of the law and all of these things that he thought put him in good standing. No. That righteousness, that righteousness I have now obtained from God in Christ through faith. Now there is the heartbeat of the Christian gospel in those three little sayings from god in christ through faith that's the gospel message that's what separates the christian gospel from any other message you'll hear in the in the religious world from god in christ through faith that's why the bible speaks of it being a, as a gift because it is that's why the bible speaks it speaks about it of being of God's grace. Because it is. We don't deserve it. But he gives it anyway. An undeserved. Unmerited gift. Taken by faith. In Christ. Now verse 9. Where Paul speaks here. This is what we call justification. Being found in him. Not having my own righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ. From God by faith. This is justification, the means by which we are saved from our sins, the right standing which we now have in Christ Jesus before a holy God. To have Christ's righteousness is to have been cleansed and forgiven of all of your sins and no longer to be under God's condemnation. To be brought into this new relationship with God as your father, to be reconciled to him, to be his child, to be converted, to be a Christian. This is a definite, fixed, certain thing. Justification is you're either in Christ or you're not. You either have his righteousness or you don't. Either you've received this gift from God by faith or you haven't. Justification is a black and white thing with no shades in between. Either you are saved or you're not. Either you are a Christian or you're not. And Paul is certain about these things because of Christ. But then in verses 10 to 11, Paul moves on more into the area of sanctification, which is the ongoing, growing, maturing in our faith and of our being in Christ. The growing of our relationship with God as his child. Now we're going to begin with these verses next week and say a little bit more about them and take it through to verse 16 at least. And unpack these closing thoughts a little bit more. But I don't want you to be looking at verse 11. And have you go away with a nagging doubt that somehow Paul is contradicting everything he's just said. Because what does he say at verse 11? If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now take that verse in isolation and on the face of it he sounds a little bit unsure. Where's all that certainty gone? If, if I may attain, what's happened to from God in Christ by faith? Has that suddenly disappeared? No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. Paul is talking about a doctrine which has been given the title, the perseverance of the saints. It goes like this. All Christians will complete the race that God has given them to run because they are secure in Christ. But at the same time, those Christians give themselves to the running of the race. So you, if you are a Christian... You will complete the race that God has given you to run because you are secure in Christ. If you're justified, you're justified. End of story in terms of justification. But you must also give yourself to the running of that race. Work out your salvation, Paul says earlier in this letter. Give yourself to it. Work out the reality of who and what you now are in Christ. If that has happened, then. Now the then is not a striving to become this. The then is a striving because you are this. So Paul's not suggesting in verse 11 that his attaining to the resurrection of the dead, in other words, being raised to everlasting life at Christ's return and being with God forever, he's not suggesting that it's somehow now in doubt. He's not suggesting that after all, he does have to earn it. He does have to attain it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that in order to continue as a Christian, I must continue as I began. Once you become a Christian, you continue as you began. I began by counting all things as loss. I now must continue by counting all things as loss. I began by God through faith in Christ. I must continue by God through faith in Christ. What things were gained to me? I've counted as loss for Christ. Indeed, I count all things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. And he's going to say, shortly, we'll look at it next week I'm pressing on towards. pressing on towards. Because God's given him a a race to run. Now he'll finish that race. Because he's secure in Christ. But he gives himself to the running of the race. What things were gained to me. These things I've counted loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. And I continue to count them all loss. That I may continue to know him. Well may these truths become deeper and more real and experiential. Might they continue to be the testimony of each one of us. To the praise of our saviour and our Lord. And God willing we'll continue to unpack these thoughts a little more. As we return to God's word next week.